WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're chatting with Rafer Roberts, who's writing Grumble with artist Mike Norton for Albatross Funny Books. Grumble follows a double-crossing wise-ass warlock named Eddie, who transforms himself into a pug and can't change back, and his half-demon daughter Tala, as they hit the road to escape from all sorts of mobsters, interdimensional enforcers, and the jerseyest jersey devil that ever was. It's a lot of fun, and the first trade comes out July 17th. And this conversation was also a lot of fun. We talk about the book's dual settings of Maryland and New Jersey, Rafer's past work for Valiant and his old Thanos and Darkseid carpool buddies of Doom strips, and he and Matt talk about games of Dungeons and Dragons that went horribly wrong. Uh, I've also got another warm-up interview this week, one very appropriate to our main guest. Uh, we recorded a segment with Rafer's partner on Dark Horse's modern fantasy, Christian Gutsnook, way back when we did Camden Comic Con in April. Kristen's gotten a bit of good news since then, as her comic Hench Girl is being developed for TV. She was delayed. Uh, she took one of our Saved by the Bell, uh, the College Years trading cards. I won't tell you which one. And uh, we hope for more good things from her. Uh, anyway, what's up over at WMQComics.com? Hey, you guys remember that from the past? Uh, anyway, we've got some good stuff in store this week. We've got our X-Man of the Week, Jubilee. Uh, Will Nevin's giving creators a badly needed social media etiquette lesson. Uh, Matt Lazowitz will have a review of Lois Lane number one and a bonus reading column on Canada's finest superheroes. Joshua Bermont's going to have a review of Vault's test number one from Christopher Sabella and Jen Hickman. And we're launching our Age of X-Men feature with pieces from yours truly and returning X-champion Trent Seeley, plus some other friends of the site. Now remember, you can find all that creamy comics goodness only at WNQComics.com. And if you like what you see, please, please, please consider backing us on Patreon. There are benefits. Uh, but that is enough for now. Let's get to our guests. Here are me and Matt and Kristen and Rafer. Yeah. Something that we're offering all our guests. Uh, <laughs> Say by the Yes. We don't know where they came from. Dan found them in the pocket of his jacket. We were sure he got them as a gag gift at some point. So we decided to put them out and offer them to It is so funny. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll take Kelly. Go for she it. She looks very cute. She does. He's taking a different one. We got a screech. Someone took a screech. Someone took a slater. I don't want screech. I always hated screech. <laughs> yeah. And he's not funny. He's just annoying. I, and Yes, that's accurate. And became the creepy guy who immediately went back to his high school to be the principal's assistant or something. It's like he... Could not find kind any of in real life and on the show. Yeah, yeah. he did like porn too, right? <laughs> Novelty porn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> porn that no one ever wants to watch. Right. Oh man. But uh, yeah, so uh, you drew one of Matt's favorite books from last year. Indeed, you did. Uh, Modern Fantasy with Rafer Roberts, which I thought was such a novel thing because I love urban fantasy. I love you know. Uh, the Dresden Files and Shannon McGuire's work, the mystical in the mundane setting. I love the idea of flipping it and putting the mundane in the mystical <laughs> setting. Where did that sort of come from? Well, a lot of that was Rafer. I mean, Rafer wrote it. We we talked about like what we liked before he wrote the comic itself, though. So he was kind of catering to my personal tastes. I was very thankful for because I was like I always like stuff that sort of deflates the majesty of the thing you're doing. Um, and honestly, it's because mundane is what I know. You know, everyone knows what your life is like. It's more. It's harder to think of 
what it's like to be some spectacular person than it is to think of what it's like to like have a crappy job. Have you ever heard of the podcast Hello from the Magic Tavern? No. It is is an improv podcast where a a guy from Chicago stumbled through a mystical portal behind a Burger King (laughs) into a magical land where he now weekly interviews the magical creatures that come into the tavern along with his two co-hosts who are a shapeshifter who is regularly in the form of a badger and a wizard. And they play a an RPG called Offices and Bosses, where it is the boring day-to-day experience that they find so exciting. And Arnie, the guy from our, it's like, but he just doesn't. Well, Arnie doesn't get much, but he especially doesn't get how this is exciting while they're, you know, this the magical mystical land of food and he just they're like it's just 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 our life that is so funny actually i had a thing in, in modern fantasy because there's one part at the end where they're like they go to the mall and i was like okay there's a lot of signs here they go into an arcade and i was like okay in this in this world their mario game is just being a plumber and like <laughs> oh that's okay, so I see you got your sketchbook back. I did indeed. What do we, what do we have? So Kristen Let, has... Let's describe it for this audio medium. Kristen has <laughs> added Two-Face on a good day. Both, Two-Face, both sides are smiling. Both sides are smiling. He looks very happy. He's flipping his coin. <laughs> he looks like he's having a great day. That is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while, he's got to flip the coin and something good happens, oh. right? It's... Right? Yeah. Like it's a 50-50 shot, right? Right. Sooner or later, it's going to be, all right, am I going to try to rob the bank? Or am I going to go to the park and feed the ducks? <laughs> ducks it is! <laughs> exactly, that's what's happening in that, yes. in the background that you don't see. <laughs> Those things are so wonderfully equivalent. <laughs> um, how did your panel go? It was great, it was really, well it wasn't a panel. Oh, I was workshop, t- sorry. teaching kids to unleash their creativity. Okay. Yeah, I had them all draw three panel comics. I actually worked them very hard. I also had them design characters. I, they were very productive in my workshop. I'm very proud of that. Do you is that something you do? Do you work with kids? Not only when I'm asked. Oh, okay. My usual thing is just drawing comics, but because my book Making Friends is a kids book, there's suddenly a need to interact with children that was previously (laughs) not a thing. (laughs) So I'm kind of like learning how to do this um, as I go. Uh Like how to do a workshop, but you know it's not that complicated. How uh, from how far have you uh, journeyed to come here? It was I, I was I'm coming in from Queens, New York. Okay. So it wasn't super bad because this morning it was only like two hours. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. Might have been speeding, speeding a little. Cut that part out. No, just kidding. <laughs> So, So, we were talking earlier about the series finale of Gotham. You're another person who appreciates the camp wonder that was Gotham. Yes. For for everyone who gave up on Gotham after the first season, you really need to go back and watch it as it more and more embraced the insanity of the concept. Yeah, it's like the only show that is truly going super comic booky. You know, a lot of other things are like, oh, what if a comic book was a regular TV show? And this one's like, what if a TV show was a comic book? It, it's Every episode is like very jam-packed with, with just so much 
And actually, my boyfriend, um, he, <laughs> they shoot it in New York, and he was an extra on it. And awesome. he got to be in the scene where they were trying to kill Victor's ass. I guess this isn't a spoiler because, like, every other episode, someone's trying to kill someone. Oh, yeah. um, this, is gonna, this is probably going to be up, like, a while. And this is a spoiler for a very random episode. But he was like, he get he got to shout, kill him! Nice. <laughs> so he was very excited about that. We were talking earlier about the, the joy of... the. the that actor, the guy who plays Zaz, is such a delight. He's great. He's also good at Barry. Barry. Yeah. Yes, I he's love Barry. He's so good. But for me, the best character is thousand percent Penguin. He's oh. just the, the hero of, of the show for me. I he, love Penguin. He is so wonderful. He takes that character and does so many different things that we've seen with Penguin, but still runs for mayor. The Penguin runs for mayor. The, the character that I, was, I always got a kick out of was Barbara Keene. Who in that first season was a, a really uncomfortable sort of like, stereotype, like henpecking girlfriend of Jim Gordon, and then becomes this mob queen, League of Assassins <laughs> member, running the Gotham underground millionaire. It was a strange evolution, but a delightful. Oh, yeah, yes. I think they were like, oh, she's not working. Let's just go. That car fast. Yeah. Yes. And became, and the the, fur, the faster she's it was like, going down that road, the better it became. <laughs> so, what are, so what are you working on now? I have one thing that's secret. Okay. Yep. We, we, but it's cool and it's going to be great. I look forward to it. Very vague. Um, but that's with Dark Horse, and it's going to be coming out sometime, I think, next year. I just finished wrapping um, book two of my kids' book, Making Friends, um, which is going to be out in July 31st, I think. Uh, and that one's really cool because book one was about this girl who she gets a magical sketchbook, and whatever she draws in it comes to life. And so she draws, like, the perfect best friend. And in book two... She decides to clone herself so that she doesn't have to go to school and that her clone can go to school for her, which was always my fantasy, so it was, like, really nice to be able to, like, live that out. Uh, and, like, as an artist, now I even more would love a clone to just, like, draw my backgrounds or, like, help. Please. <laughs> do this crowd scene for me? Me? Yes. <laughs> She's like, no, you do it. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Uh, how can people uh, follow you and your work online? I am at henchgirl underscore comic, both on Twitter and Instagram. Great. Thank you very much for stopping by the table. Thank you so much for having me. W-N-Q-A. So, Rafer, uh, what comics do you remember reading when you first got into the medium? Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I read a lot of uh, Fantastic Four Uh and I was, and just to put it into the time frame, I'm 42 now. So uh, my coming up was uh, in the early 80s. So I was getting like the uh, Roger Stern run of Fantastic Four, which uh, led into the John Byrne run, which everybody remembers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was also reading like, um, uh, oh, what the hell is it called? The Something Adventures of Indiana Jones that Marvel was also putting out. That was. Um, because I really liked Indiana Jones. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So that was like, um, you know, my early version, uh, 12 years old of uh, back issue hunting, trying to get a complete run of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, those were like the early ones. Uh, read like the Star Wars comics. Uh, 
since mostly Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, then got into indies uh, a little bit later, uh, about middle school uh, and high school. The comic shop that I was going to would rack all their comics like purely alphabetical. So um, you'd see like Chester Brown racked next to uh, Kirby. So it was a very interesting store and very formulative of uh, how I see comics. That, that's interesting because, you know, I was thinking your your early work, you know, I'm thinking Plastic Farm, I'm thinking Nightmare of the Rat. You know, it's got a very sort of punk rock zine aesthetic to it. And I was curious, you know, how much of your sort of formative comics reading was comics with an accent like heavy metal, you know, maybe some EC, you know, reprint, stuff like that. Yeah, the EC stuff was there. I didn't get into heavy metal until uh, probably college when I also discovered drugs. So, <laughs> I don't know. Those two things go like hand in hand. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> well, well, um, but yeah, but I was reading like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles started coming out when I was uh, like 12 years old. So that was very formulative. Just the idea that anybody who had access to a pen and a piece of paper could make their comics. And that's, I think, that uh, DIY punk aesthetic. Um, I mean, you got look at like Span Rodriguez and you go like, oh, that guy's uh, punk rock aesthetic but so is um ah, he does super fuckers uh, kolchaka james kolchaka oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah but also i i put him on the same uh level of uh, like he's even though he draws cute stuff he's still very much of that uh punk rock aesthetic as far as i'm concerned absolutely so amongst other things you're here today to talk about uh grumble the comic you have coming out from albatross funny books uh with mike norton uh yep. give us the elevator pitch on that one uh, the, the long and short of it is, uh, imagine if a John Constantine style, uh, magical huckster, uh, with even less of a, uh, moral compass suddenly got, uh, stuck in the body of a pug and then had to, uh, battle the forces of good and evil alongside his half demon teenage sidekick. Which is a perfect elevator pitch for a really delightfully crazy book um <laughs> how did grumble find its home at albatross i mean you're one of the first books to come out from there that isn't from the publisher founder uh of goon fame eric powell yeah um well, it was about the easiest pitching process that i've ever had in that i was barely involved in the pitching process uh basically uh me and Mike had uh, been working on the book for a few months at this point, and we're just getting ready to put together a pitch. Mike, I think, had drawn the cover at that point, and we had a, a pretty basic understanding of what was going to happen in the book. But Mike and Eric uh, have been friends for years, and they were sitting next to each other at a convention the weekend that I was actually writing the pitch, uh, putting the finishing touches on it, when Mike just texted me and said, Hey, what do you think about Albatross? So they, they were just uh, like sitting at the show talking about it, and it was um, I think Eric just liked it, and uh, I know he and Mike had been wanting to work together for a while too, which um, ultimately led to the Goon versus Grumble crossover. Now, uh, I, I am curious, because because Eddie takes the form of a pug, and Mike Norton, obviously uh, known for <laughs> Battle Pug, which came first? You working with Mike on the book, or the idea for Eddie to transform into uh, that specific breed of dog? <laughs> well, uh, credit where it's due, uh, the, very, uh, the genesis of the comic started with Mike. Uh, we 
I think he had had the idea for a few years, uh, but never fleshed it out beyond a dickhead wizard gets stuck in the body of a pug, um, <laughs> which is uh, what he brought he brought to me. Um, he emailed me like following a um, uh, a convention appearance where he was uh, piped in and I was actually there talking. And he immediately texted me after with just the uh, subject line grumble. So I was like, God damn, what did I do? Did I piss him <laughs> off? Did I say something wrong on the panel? Uh, and then I read the thing and he it basically just uh, listed out uh, dickhead wizard gets stuck in the body of a pug, has to battle some weirdos and like, yeah, I'm all in. Uh, and from there we uh, developed it together. But yeah, the, the, the concept of it being a pug, 100% Mike Norton. <laughs> great um the the first collection comes out uh, i believe july 17th uh publishing through albatross do you kind of have a greater degree you and mike have a greater degree of control over how you know the first volume is collected in terms of like back matter bonus material kind of other stuff like that you know more so than you would at say you know valiant with like an archer and armstrong collection or something like that um well yeah when we were at archer and armstrong um all that back matter, all the front matter, even the story synopses were taken care of by editorial and uh, the marketing departments. Whereas with Grumble, uh, pretty much every written word in there was written by me. Every piece of art was uh, picked out and uh, illustrated by Mike. So, yeah, from that point, there, there is a greater de- degree of um, uh, control. But I mean, the issue is only X number of pages long. Uh, the if we wanted to put in thirty pages of of bonus, I'm sure Eric would probably not would probably talk us down from doing that. It's just added costs uh, and such like that. But in terms of what we put in to fill that space that we're allocated, that's all us. It's a very long way to answer that question. Yeah, no, no, makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. so many great things about grumble but one of the highlights for me is the relationship between eddie and tala his as you said half demon teenage sidekick and the the that great banter and the fact that neither of them are you know good guys quote unquote in the traditional (laughs) sense i mean eddie as you said is a absolutely a dickhead and tala comes from that tradition of I only screw over other people who are screwing other people over, but I screw them over pretty hard. Oh Um, yeah. How fun is it to write characters that exist more in that moral gray zone than your traditional quote unquote, traditional comic book, black and white, good guy and bad guy dyad. Uh, I mean, I, I have a blast with it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just bouncing these characters off of each other though. I'd say it's, it's actually, I would say it's harder than either writing like a pure morally good character, like a Superman versus like a, a pure morally bad character, like Dr. Doom. They're, they're, they're good or they're evil, but the morally gray ones, it's a, you actually kind of walk a finer line where Eddie could do something truly horrific. It's in his character, but that's going to change everything about the book if he just like straight up murders a kid i mean it's like all right uh, i i guess I, but <laughs> you don't have any sympathy for him it, the trick is to make them morally gray 
have them make these um, questionable decisions, but still understand why they made them. I, I think that's where the fun and but also butting heads against each other because Tala sees herself as much more morally upstanding yet uh, not to spoil too much of the book. She's about to dick over Eddie pretty hard mm-hmm. if she gets, uh, if her plan succeeds. So like who is good? I don't know if Grumble's going to answer that question, but it's, it's fun to play with. <laughs> um. Geography, you know, this is this is a road trip. This is, you know, uh, yeah, this is a road trip book, and starts out in in Maryland, in Baltimore, kind of showing us the 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 seedy, magical underbelly of the city. Uh, you know, you're you're based in Maryland. Uh, you know, what what is your relationship with Baltimore? Because you know, especially in in those opening issues, Grumble definitely feels like it has some, you know, Faulkner esque things to say about uh, about its setting. Yeah, it was, it's actually funny. Um, I originally had pitched to Mike that we set it in Chicago just so he would be easier for him to find uh, reference photos. <laughs> that's where he lives. And then he, I think, thought I was a Baltimore native. So he says, just put it in Baltimore. So, all right, I've been kind of living in Baltimore for like two years, three years now, mm-hmm. uh, trading back and forth uh, between Western Maryland, where my job is, and Baltimore, where my wife is. Uh, but, yeah, it's an it's. I've come to really love Baltimore for all its quirks and faults. It's, it is, you always say like the, like in Batman, Gotham is the secondary character is also a main character. But, um, I really actually do believe that with, uh, with Baltimore in, in the first arc. And actually as, uh, the series progresses, even though we kind of get away from Baltimore, uh, we never truly leave. Um, but yeah, uh, it's an interesting city. Uh, where our apartment is, it's on the edge of uh, gentrified Baltimore. So mm-hmm. on one side, it's uh, traditional, um, what you see on like the wire, I sure. guess. But um, <laughs> for lack of a better description, honestly, because uh, it's not all like the wire, but right. for your listeners in LA, I guess that'll be a... Like it's, it's people's first port of re- point of reference yeah. when they hear Baltimore. Yeah, it's the nice parts that they show on the wire, but it's still, <laughs> yeah, um, but on the other side, you get uh, it's like Johns Hopkins is to the other side of a suit. There's a lot more uh, money coming into that area, and uh, my wife and I actually had this discussion about two or three weeks ago because a new coffee shop and beer garden opened about a block and a half away from us. So we're like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. That's awesome. There's stuff to do. And we walk down there and we're looking around like, motherfucker, our rent is going to fucking triple here in about a year. Um, so it's it's a fun city. It, you can go block to block and just it's such an illustration of wealth disparity. in America. Like just as you're driving down one street, mm-hmm. it's shocking. And I look at it, I, I think we got some of that in Grumble. I didn't want the book to become about that. Sure. But I think you can see some of that in the background with my, uh, some of the stores we put in the, the, the bougier parts of Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> my favorite joke is, I, I think, Baltimore's second favorite dessert waffles place. 
<laughs> and that is only kind of a joke because I've seen three in the city. There's not a, it's like dessert waffles. There's, all right, got three of them now. <laughs> that's, that's where, yeah, that's where my indignation goes. Dessert waffles. <laughs> How Which, could you get mad at something so delicious? He's <laughs> <laughs> the dense under that name. Yeah. Mm. Uh. Yeah. Let's move. Let's move on yeah. from that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you said that. You know, Baltimore is always going to kind of be part of the series because I, you know. You read a comic and sometimes you fall in love with, you know, a minor character or a, a bit player. And I absolutely adored Simon, the Catman mobster. Um, I am well on record on this podcast as being a cat person and getting a kick out of cat human hybrids, not in a creepy way. Right. This isn't a furry thing. This Matt, is no just... one's here to yuck your yum. <laughs> um, I have to assume that Simon was a cat person simply to play off the cats and dogs thing with Eddie, right? It wasn't just like, oh, I want to do a cat person for no reason other than I want to do a cat person. It's like, no, he's a dog. He's throwing a cat. A, a little bit. It's With Simon, I can't quite remember the genesis of the character. Um, I know Mike had mentioned one time when he told me like all the stuff he, he'd like to draw was and his list was a cat-headed demon uh so i was like all right that's cool and like you said i was like yeah i can play that off the cats and dogs thing that's gonna be good and i, I kind of worked that into how eddie gets away from simon in their uh <laughs> first encounter uh but it was basically uh in some of the earlier drafts he was more of like a international assassin who was hired to come in or he was like uh at one point, I think he was just a lone, like a dog, the bounty hunter, but, you know, a cat. Um, but it wasn't until, like, we finally figured it out and, like, oh, he would be another member of Eddie's crew from back in the day. So they're friends and we work all that out. Uh, I actually somewhat regret name him, naming him Simon because I forgot that was the name of Ryan Brown's cat who shares a studio with Mike. Uh, and if you're curse words at all uh ryan um like you've seen simon show up the actual simon show up in that book a few times uh so everybody thinks i named him after the cat but i just i actually am just terrible at naming characters i i stole if you go back and read my archer and armstrong there's a big bruiser character in that name simon as well and i realized like well i just have like six names i choose from over and over again <laughs> So Claremont was the same way. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's Rachel. <laughs> oh man. And, and there's at least two or three Madeline Priors, like before yeah. the regular Madeline, the real Madeline Pryor, quote unquote. Oh geez. I don't even remember that. Yeah. There's, there's a, a lot of Rachel's. Yeah. The, I can't remember. I was reading something and they pointed out there's another Madeline, at least one other Madeline Pryor. It's oh, like, God. Oh really? Wow. He, he, didn't go well, far from that well. <laughs> well, a younger Rafer might might talk trash about that, but a current, more uh, aware Rafer is like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> well, believe me, my greatest failing when attempting to write fiction was always names. Was always sitting here, and the names were either way too on the nose yeah. or way too esoteric. <laughs> 
um, you know, it's it's funny just kind of thinking a little bit more about Baltimore. I kind of you know pumped that up, and then I saw where the book was going too. So this all kind of worked out. But I live just outside Atlantic City, which is another town that is struggling with image problems while trying to push a narrative yep. of revitalization. Um, and I don't I don't think we're we're, we're nowhere near three dessert waffles places. Yeah, <laughs> there's like there's like one block off the boardwalk that has like the trendy coffee shop and the beer garden. Right. It's like coming. It's like butting right up against a whole bunch of rooming houses, too. So it, it, that's like it. It's like quarantine gentrification. It's 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 going to be weird to yeah, see I, like how it spreads. Yeah, I'm originally from New Jersey. I, I have a lot of sympathy for um, uh, Atlantic City folks. It, they got they got sold a bill of goods when uh, they started opening the casinos up, and it just it just wrecked everything. But but that doesn't keep me from going to them occasionally. <laughs> so it, so I'm just the biggest hypocrite as anybody else. But uh, well, yeah, thank you for pumping money into our economy. <laughs> yeah, well, it, well, it didn't go anywhere into the Atlantic City economy. No, it, no. yeah, it went straight to uh, it stayed yeah. in Harris. <laughs> Yeah. So is this, this we're we're talking about the economic feasibility of casinos and the gaming industry in New Jersey now for the next forty five minutes, right? Sure. I live sandwiched in between Philadelphia and Camden. Camden that mm. really wants its you know, the sign when you enter Camden to say, Camden, no longer murder capital of the United States, we swear. We're number two, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's yeah, just, I don't know if it was you that I was talking to at East Coast about Camden uh, that it's actually re- getting better. That yeah, it actually, I think uh, it was. Yeah, yeah which is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there, there's some ver- the the area by the waterfront, by the aquarium, by Rutgers is really yeah. nice now. Yeah, I mean that's a city that I would love to see uh, rise again because that used to be before my time, but. Um, I've seen pictures. It used to be a really nice place. It used to be a cool city. Yeah. I, there, there's, parts that are, there's parts that are still good. We did a con in Camden just this year that was on the Rockers campus, and it was a great time. So, it's, hmm. There's pockets of sunshine everywhere. You just got to look for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of another pocket of sunshine, uh, one of the, you know, we talked about Mike and, and photo reference work. I really liked the, the, the panels where you know we got to see uh, in Asbury Park the landmarks at like the Wonder Bar and uh, you know the Asbury Hotel and everything, um, you know there's as a resident of the Garden State it was just there there were all these like nice little things where it's like yes I am familiar with this that I appreciate <laughs> like there's a panel where Eddie's reading a copy of Weird New Jersey, <laughs> they're specifically at a diner on 206 yeah. in like the middle of the Pine Barrens. <laughs> yeah no I mean I. I think Mike and I both agree that uh, when you set a book somewhere, you should actually be in that place. Um, like there's all the, you, you set something in New York and then it's just a generic city about 99% of the time. Well, you, that's, you get that in movies too, though, because half the time yeah. it's Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. It's just a different city. <laughs> yeah. So I think once we decided that we were going to set the book somewhere, we were actually going to make it be that place and have it, have that feel of it, which um, is a great idea. It is a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, 
figuring out spots and actually getting reference, mm-hmm. uh, especially the Jersey ones. The, the Baltimore was easy. I could just drive around and take pictures. Jersey's like, all right, let me try to remember 20 years ago from when I used to live there. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, man, the New Jersey arc, I almost screwed up royally, honestly. Uh, there's a scene in uh, upcoming in issue eight mm-hmm. where they stop for uh, gas and then um, I actually forgot, and I started writing a scene like, "Yeah, Tala gets out of the car and stumps, starts pumping her gas." Like, uh, no, uh, no, never. Like, like bad Rafer. Like, where are you from, boy? Come on, Rafer. Jesus, uh, get your roots. The, I, I will never forget my wife when we first met. She was living in Pennsylvania, and I was living in Jersey, and I was driving in picked her up we're driving around and i pull into the gas station i just sit there behind the wheel yeah like 30 <laughs> seconds of silence before she goes are you gonna pump the gas or you want me to I'm like pump the what now <laughs> I, i've never had to do that in my entire life yeah it's oh. like well i guess you better show me how <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly welcome to the rest of america <laughs> yeah well except for oregon they don't pump either right yeah <sighs> Uh, two states I have to remember that if I ever have them go to Oregon and get gas <laughs> do an issue in Portland <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there's a know. place with some dessert waffles <laughs> yeah I don't know I think Eddie and Tala would just blend in too well it wouldn't be <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah. um Another th- another thing I was thinking about in the uh, the Asbury issues is uh, Sammy, the uh, the aspect of the devil. Um, he is now what I think about now when I think about the Jersey, the concept of the Jersey Devil. The you should yeah. yes. <laughs> the uh, the slick back hair, the aviator glasses, the tank top undershirt. <laughs> yeah, I think I described him uh, to Mike, and this is about the only Sopranos reference I make in the entire uh, New Jersey arc. Uh-huh. I try to stay away from the easy jokes. Sure. Is just just give me a Chris Moltisanti right out of rehab. That's all I want. That's what he looks like. <laughs> that is, that's perfect. That is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is this is a minor thing, and, I, and and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer it, but in issue number four, uh, in mm-hmm. the, during the car chase sequence, uh, there's a cassette when Eddie's going through the stuff in his car and it looks oh, like shit, an yeah. actual album cover, like one of the old RCAs, but I could not zoom in close enough to get a clear picture of it. Even though I kept yelling enhance at uh, the computer out loud. Do you happen to know what that is? Oh, not off the top of my head. And I think that was Mike putting that in there. Sure. Absolutely. I, well, my, I, one of the things, uh, the, I think makes artists like me as a writer is I don't remember what I write in my scripts. So every time I get a page back, I'm like, yeah, it's great. That looks, but it's true. I mean, they look great. They tell the story. I'm not going to go nitpick through it and go, well, you didn't put my journey cassette coming out of the, no, you got I trust my, I trust the artists I work with to make good choices and to tell the story the best they can. And, um, the rest is just dialogue tweaks after that. Sure. So I don't remember what the cassette is. I don't remember. I remember it being funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
a part of me, I part of me thought it was Phil Collins. So I spent like a good five minutes Googling like Phil Collins cassette covers, but it wasn't, uh, that wasn't it. <laughs> God, it could be like Ario Speedwagon. Cause we actually had to talk about that. Like what kind of music does Eddie listen to? Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're starting to like develop characters, it's one of the questions I kind of list, I asked myself like, what are his favorite bands? What, what music would he listen to? What would he watch? What would he read? It's just writer technique, so it might be REO Speedwagon, but I, I did it's have, probably not. <laughs> I had him pegged as like a, like a 1980s album rock kind of guy, so. Or dog. I'm looking around my car. I'm seeing, like, do I have any copies in here? I do not. So I can't look it up. Mm-hmm. So, oh, well. <laughs> it was worth comments. a shot. <laughs> yeah. Just when we when the trade comes out, you'll have to get get a microfi- magnifying glass and you know really focus in. When we start promote when, I, when we uh, promote this uh, podcast on Twitter, I'll put it on the comments or something if I remember. There we. Which go. I which I won't. So you'll have to remind <laughs> me. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So one of the other books you did was one of my favorites of last year, which was uh, Modern Fantasy from Oh yeah, Grumble. loved the book. And the thing that I loved about it is that Grumble is sort of in that genre of urban fantasy where it's the quote-unquote real world with fantastic elements worked in. And Modern Fantasy flips that on its head, where it's a fantasy world with these mundane elements of day jobs and malls worked into them. Where did that idea come from? Uh, yeah, I think Grumble and Modern Fantasy are like some weird cousins of each other. But uh, but yeah, the whole the whole flip. Like Grumble is very is much more cynical, where Modern Fantasy is much more positive and um, optimistic. Where like the power of, uh, of friends working together can overcome any evil, whereas Grumble is every man for himself basically. Um, but yeah, modern fantasy came because I wanted to work with Kristen on something. And we had met at a New York comic con a while back. And, uh, finally our schedules were working and I asked her what she wanted, like if she had anything that she really wanted to draw and she said magic. So she hadn't worked <laughs> with anything with magic. So I was like, all right, went away for like two days, just daydreaming at work and it's like well about D D stuff and i started thinking about that and then i started looking around my day job at the people that i was working with <laughs> and i'm like all right i think i got something here <laughs> uh, so yeah it's basically modern fantasy is the world we live in but if everybody was um if our entire ancient history was every fantasy novel and uh D module ever made uh so you got orcs Goblins going on awful Tinder dates. Um, <laughs> they got a main character, Sage, a ranger from the country, moves to the city for adventure, but just finds a dead end uh, data entry job. And she's a temp on top of that. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, weird cousins is how I would describe them to each other. It's good. It's good. It's, that's a good way to sell both trades at once when you're at a show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you like this, this is the exact opposite. You'll also like it. <laughs> These are family. You can't break up family. Buy them both. <laughs> no, 
are you a D and D player, or have you ever been? Not currently. Uh, I played a lot in middle and high school, uh, and a little bit in college. But uh, I think the group that I had found in college just sort of turned me off of it. It wasn't the group I had in high school. We didn't quite play right. I think. or maybe we did. Every single game we ended, uh, it ended up with a uh, fight, like a physical altercation. That's how we <laughs> broke up games. That's how we knew we were done. It's like, oh, well, three people left with bloody noses. I guess we're done playing for this weekend. Uh, I roll a d20 to throw a right hook. <laughs> oh, it would just, it would just, it would get brutal. We'd like, there'd be plates smashed. People get pissed off and they just throw shit. <laughs> uh, we're, ah, New Jersey. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because I'm a, a player, and I was trying to figure, and when I was talking earlier about the morally gray characters with uh, Eddie and Tala, I had initially started writing out D and D alignments, and I was like, there are not enough people who are going to get this reference for me to yeah. use this as the describer here. So I'm just gonna. Let that one go. In did, all fairness, you though, you've, you've, your D and D groups come up a couple of times in, in the in the history of this show, so I, I think it's you know it's on brand. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that is very true. Ten years last week we've been playing. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a long time. We the same campaign? Uh, no, no, we've sure. done we, we campaigns usually go about two ish years, so we've gone through three or four i've we usually it changes dm between each campaign i've dm'd a couple right. times um usually we and the end of our session is when one of us completely and utterly stumps the dm with some random choice and then that's when the fight breaks out yeah usually yeah because <laughs> it yeah, because the DM will like say something and just piss everybody off, and like ah, and then you start fighting. No, see, usually yeah. I'm the guy who plays the character who kind of keeps the party moving in one direction. But this, the campaign we're playing right now, I decided, all right, screw this, chaotic neutral. I am <laughs> out. I am an Eddie. I'm out purely for money and myself, and. Whatever happens, nobody is going to keep this thing moving in one direction. Actually, the character that turned out <laughs> is doing that is lawful evil. He's huh. he's a leg breaker, and he got us together to to go on this ad- adventure. Might not be the right word, but you know it's and it's he's getting, but he's doing like he he's doing the Elric storm, uh, Elric of Michael Moorcock. You know, he's this guy okay. with this you know, the sword that eats souls and he's, <laughs> he's just, he's a bad guy, but he's very much, you know, but this is the, the way it works and we're going to keep going. The, the last, our last session, <clears throat> we went to this big party, you know, this big highfalutin party that my character, who's this sort of bon vivant con man, cat burglar, got us into because everyone know you know he goes right. in he's witty and urbane and he's spending the entire time casing the joint usually but you know gets him into the party goes down into the basement which is you know the hellfire club and then through that into the back rooms where there's a teleportation circle everybody jumps through the teleportation circle where there's a wizard and a barbarian 
big ass barbarian waiting. They all start a fight with the wizard and the barbarian and the at which we did not realize at the moment, uh, invisible ranger sniping at everyone. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. And I look around, I, I, they all ran forward. I just stood by the teleportation circle. I threw fireworks to distract the wizard and break his concentration and then stepped right back through the teleportation circle because I wasn't being paid to deal with this shit. <laughs> then went back into the hellfire club orgy and screamed, Hey, the real party's this way. And led all of the revelers into the middle of the fight. And the DM was just like, I didn't stat out any of these people. I don't know. <laughs> I did not expect anyone to do that. It's like, yeah, this is what you get when I decide to be the random guy. You're, we're early in this campaign. And it's only getting worse, Larry. <laughs> oh, man. I The one that I remember the most, we were in the middle of whatever campaign we were on and we get to a city and I think the DM basically planned for us. Like we're going to get, we're going to get to the city. We're going to meet somebody and we're going to go somewhere else. It's a very simple, like 20 minute in between. But I think either I or somebody else did something which got the attention of the town guards, (laughs) which led to us being thrown in prison, which three hours later, led to us burning down the entire town. (laughs) So as we're standing in the rubble of the town, looking around, the DM had the horrible realization of, oh, shit, we never picked up that other guy. He's dead. (laughs) So he's like looking like, and there, on the horizon, you see North Littlefield, the town you were really supposed to go to. Oh. Like, all right, that's that's a good way to get out of that one. North Doover Town, <laughs> yeah, Doover Town. So, of course, being the smart asses we are, as soon as we walk in the town, we repeat everything. We immediately start doing. The- <laughs> Fuck you guys! God damn it! It's <laughs> his turn to storm off. So, if, if this is probably for the best, I don't play anymore. Mm. I don't know. Well, if you'll indulge me one other story, th- yeah. this is one of the times that I was uh, GMing, and this was an urban fantasy setting. So it was, you know, real world, fantastic elements. And I, the, the whole crux that everyone had to deal with was four magical artifacts, and one of them was in a museum. And so initially everyone was like, okay, you're going to want to guard this magical sword. Okay, mean, then I set up, all right, but meanwhile, out in the town, there's a gang war going on between mobsters and vampires, and I was like, they are going to get in the middle of this freaking gang war, and that's <laughs> going to be perfect. This is the only time in 10 years of playing where everyone completely ignored the <laughs> side quest and just sat in that museum and watched the sword. I'm like, seriously? I have all this material with <laughs> mobsters and vampires and the vampires having, you know, glamoured the conciliary of the mob family. Oh, There's going to be this big fight on a mansion. It's like, no, we're going to stay here and watch the sword. It's like, but but the, the fairies were supposed to seal the sword while you weren't looking. Now the fairies are going to show up and you're going to be there and you're going to wipe them out. And Big Bad was supposed to get the sword. Son of a bitch! 
<laughs> you just had a whole party just nope at you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like never. Like we go on every freaking side quest you can imagine, but this time everybody decided nope. We the whole point is to watch the sword, so we're gonna watch the sword. It's like okay, well <laughs> then I'll you know have something on the radio about the big fire at the mansion that was supposed to happen when the final battle between the vampires and the mobsters yeah. happened so I could at least use my material and you guys will kill the fairy and his giant fairy hound and then you'll have the sword for the final battle with the giant twisted fey monster okay well that's going to make that fight a lot easier for you guys because that sword was statted out to be really unbeatable son of a bitch they saw right through your Kobayashi Maru yeah, they pretty much did. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I did want to say, just before we move off Modern Fantasy, uh, quick shout out to Kristen Gutsnook because we did get to t- talk to her at Camden for a little bit. And, um, oh, good. D- no, delightful. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I want to work with her again. I wish we could do more Modern Fantasy, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. We would have heard by now if mm-hmm. they wanted, if Dark Horse wanted to do more of it. What you gonna do? Yeah. I think with that new Pixar movie coming out, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that would help us or hurt us. It's basically, it's very similar. Like, the hell's it called? Oh, the um, new Pixar one. Yeah. Far, I want to say far away, but I know that's not right. No. Um. It's not like I'm sitting in front of a box that holds the <laughs> you know complete knowledge of the entire world in it um, well i mean we don't need to give disney any free plugs here that is right. true keep, yeah but at least i can look it up so it doesn't drive me <laughs> insane that's they don't need our help no <laughs> no, no the the hegemony that is disney is taking care of itself quite well uh, so speaking of sort of, you know, work for, you know, other entities, um, you have done a few different pieces for uh, Valiant over time. A um, mm-hmm. bunch of those, the one page, the one pagers in the issue 25s and Harbinger Renegades. Um, but also the thing that I love, uh, um, A&A, the further, the adventures of Archer and Armstrong. Uh, I'm a big fan of the brothers on Apata. They're, as I have said on this podcast before, they're kind of my favorite little corner of the Valiant universe. And I loved the way you took Aram Armstrong there with this very wistful, you know, I've lived centuries, done some really messed up stuff to the people I care about. And now it's time to, you know, go on a road trip and sort of make amends with a couple of these people. Um, and while that sounds like this really deep sort of, you know, melancholy story, <laughs> you, it was not, it was wacky and insane and had Bacchus, the God of wine doing a day job yeah. and bath salts and Florida man. And yeah, it was delightful. Thanks. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun on that. And what you say, like, it could have been maudlin or anything. But, yeah, um, Armstrong as a character uh, just really intrigued me. Um, and Fred Van Lente, uh, on his run before I took over, did a really great job of showing how 
uh, Archer and his uh, his goodness uh, was able to kind of crack through Armstrong's very uh, his shell and actually get to actual some actual emotion out of the big lug. So I felt like, yeah, well, let's not let's not lose that. Let's kind of dive into that, which is I think what my Archer and Armstrong run was ultimately about. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's still Armstrong. Uh, and just because a dude you met uh, is helping you to turn your, turn around and become a better person, that doesn't happen overnight. You're still the same asshole. You just know <laughs> you're, you're fucking up at that point, which is worse. Uh, so I, I tried to show that, but also it, it's a funny book. So there had to be some weirdos for them to fight. Uh, I still miss my writing Ivan the Science Bear. Uh, <laughs> I keep waiting for him to come back. Gub Gub. Gub Gub. Amazing. And uh, I'd say most of the success of Gub Gub is because of the way Mike was drawing him. Uh, I describe him as kind of being a puppy. Uh, and this is, man, this is when me and Mike first started working together. I, I didn't really know him at all. So. I don't know why the idea of like, yeah, he's just like a little puppy or a, a spoiled child. You have to run around him. I, I think that just really appealed to Mike's sensibilities too, just the way he would draw the character. But yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. That book taught me how to write, uh, working with, I'll give a shout out to Warren Simons, my editor on that book. Uh, I thought I knew how to write before I started working on that book, but I did not. Uh, and you put me through the ringer, but I think I came out the other side a uh, much stronger writer because of it. So I'll always hold that book in very high regards uh, in my eyes. And I'm glad you like it. You, you also did, there's a one-off in there that is a, just such a fun issue. It's Archer's first date with Faith. And, you know, I'm, there's, plenty of people out there who, you know, love to ship this character and that, and that's mm -hmm. never kind of been my thing, but those two are just so sweet together. How much, how much was that, you know, just like, how crazy fun was it to write that issue? <laughs> it was actually fun. I was going to try to tease out the Archer and Faith thing for a really long time. Um, but luckily everybody convinced me like, no, just cause you, you Rafer have been on this book for a short time. Doesn't mean that those people haven't been wanting those two characters together for a while. Um, so this was at like the uh, Valiant retreat where all the writers got together. So I'm like, all right, let me think about that. And about 10 minutes later, I had come up with the entire story in my head. <laughs> um, Cause just something clicked. It's just like, yeah, I can write the first date. But um, what I didn't want it to be, like you see a lot of movies. Um, I'm going to rag on the Star Wars prequels just for a moment. I, I, I know it's old to do so, and I don't like ragging on anything. But the Star Wars prequels, I didn't think did a very good job of showing why Anakin and um, Padme fell in love. It, I, they kind of just got together because the plot needed them to, and they didn't have any chemistry or anything. So my number one goal with that was to show why these two characters would actually like each other. Um, so I had, there's the dinner scene with them talking about past, like going, what, what movies did you like? Oh, you didn't like that one. This one's good for that reason. 
Oh, wait, you didn't like it because you've actually time traveled and you think that Back <laughs> to the Future is full of crap? That's super cool. Yeah, because I, I felt that the characters need, like, everything about them needed to work. If you're reading the book, you're like, oh, they kiss at the end, but I didn't really even think they liked each other. Then I would have failed. Um, so I think that's probably the most important thing versus whoever they were fighting or whatever they did in the book. I think it was just key to make get clear and actually get to the heart of these characters and find out why they work together. And Fred Van Lente has gone on record to saying uh, early on when he said, when Archer was like going to rescue Ivar, he says, my true love is in uh, danger at the time, referring to Mary Maria mm. and Ivar going faith's in danger. It was just a throwaway line that he didn't, <laughs> he didn't have any plan for it, but to just pick that faith was was a godsend because those characters absolutely would date each other and uh, fall in love and be together. It, it's just them. They're the two most pure, most perfect, but with a side of realism thrown in, they're, just, they're meant for each other. You got me all wistful thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I was just about to go, oh. Um, moving on uh, I I was curious how often do you get requests from people uh, online, in person, whatever for more of those uh, Thanos and Darkseid carpool buddies of Doom mini comics you did with Justin (laughs) Jordan Uh, geez at least once a month (laughs) I'm not kidding I at some point I'm actually going to write out the form letter but I feel like an <laughs> asshole doing that. So I like to try at least because they're not always phrased the same. So it's sure. like, there's your form letter, but I don't have any more. Even if I did, I can't sell them. Right. They're, it's all copyright infringement. We printed them up to hand out uh, as freebies uh, because here's the secret. We both had projects coming out around the same time as us doing that. And we really wanted to promote those other projects. Uh <laughs> So if you're lucky to pick one up, I, I, I hope you picked up the book that we were trying to promote because those things were not cheap to print. Uh, but yeah, we, it's probably the most popular comic I've ever worked on and it's online. You can read it for free. I just don't have any more hard copies. I like people asking. It means that people are still interested. Um, I just feel bad every time I can't help them. Uh, what's your... I don't feel that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> uh, uh, what's your what's your con schedule like this year? Uh, it's actually a lighter lighter this year than in previous. Um, just day job stuff. I mm-hmm. did a few different shows instead. Um, just don't want to take off as much time. Uh, so I'm not doing Heroes next week. Mm-hmm. I love that show, but it involves like four vacation days from the day job and I about my history at heroes is I have a fun time and I about break even. So, uh, I'll have to probably do that like every two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be at Terrificon, which is at the Mohegan sun up in Connecticut, up in August. Yep. I'll be at Rose city. I'll be at New York though. I won't have my own tables. So I'll just be having uh, signings at other people's tables. And Baltimore. I think I'm forgetting one. But yeah, I only have like three or four shows for the rest of the year. That's like nothing for me. 
I, th- I swear to God, like two years ago, I did like 18 or 19 appearances. Man. Yeah, you know what happens when you do 19 appearances in a year? You don't write a lot of comics. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. You spend all your time promoting them. You guys got to have time to make them, too. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Uh, what, are you, what are you reading right now? Not much. <laughs> um, I'm always reading Stray Bullets. That's my absolute favorite uh, from the beginning of time. Um, what I what I tend to do, because uh, I lost my, um, I didn't lose it. It went out of business. My, my comic shop went out of business a few years ago. Uh-huh. And I just haven't picked up a new one to have a subscription box. So what I'd like to do now is I'll look at um, my friend's stuff coming out or something specifically that's coming out. I'll go in and buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, Outer Darkness. Uh, John Layman's Outer Darkness. from uh, That's another one I'm actually consistently reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll read stuff like if I see uh, Brian Levels got art on a book, I'll pick that up. Uh, pretty much I'll pick up anything Teeny Howard's working on. Um, oh, my friends are going to get mad because I name dropped three of them. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if, if you're my, if, you're my friend and you're listening to this. Yours is one of the books that I go out and I buy. There's more. I, I am reading more. I'm just hard pressed to think of them right now. It's all good. Um, uh, Rafer, as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online? If you in fact wish to be followed? Uh, yeah. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram and on everything else, I'm plastic farm. So my website's plasticfarm.com. Twitter's plastic farm, Instagram, plastic farm. Everything plastic farm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rafer, thank you so much for doing the show. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. Where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA! W-M-Q-A.